texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin? We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. All right, all right. Welcome to Pull the Pin. I'm your host, Kevin E. Joma, and we are brought to you by the fine folks at what you expect that's w-y-e-x-p-e-c-t.com and thank you so much for joining me for our sixth episode we are officially um as today's october 1st uh we're officially three months away from this disaster nightmare of a year coming to an end and maybe just maybe uh we're about a month away from this uh country coming to an end (laughs) you know democracy as we know it yeah y'all seen that debate this week right 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 yeah you know um we all have a lot to say about the debate and i have my thoughts too um but quite frankly we have seen pundits comment strongly about this debate all right uh, calling it a bleep show, um, a disgrace, whatnot. And and while I do agree, I also think they're all missing the point. So I'm going to address that, of course, and my overall reactions and insights from the debate that happened on Tuesday night. And full disclosure, I, like most of y'all, cut that shit off about halfway through. And uh, I went to Twitter to, to see the post-game highlights. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. Um, but what we'll also do, uh, we're definitely going to discuss Trump's taxes. You thought we forgot about that, didn't you, Donald? <laughs> nah, we ain't forget. We ain't forget. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to take a look at the battle for the Supreme Court as Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett this past weekend. And I'll give you my opinion on how batshit crazy she is or isn't and how completely and absolutely dangerous she is or isn't. First, let's bring things back. So that debate happened. And none of us, I mean, none of us can put that shit back in the tube. It happened. All right? It happened. You fucked up and called your kids into the living room to introduce them to politics. And they saw that. And what that was, was Donald Trump deciding that the only way he could, he could win that debate was if everyone lost. Joe Biden wasn't going to get to talk policy or plans because Donald Trump didn't have any. And if Donald Trump didn't have any, then Joe Biden wasn't going to get to talk about his plans and make him look bad. He came to the debate with the intention of being a Twitter common thread come to life. That's it. So that was that. Um, Joe couldn't get a word in. Uh, Chris Wallace, one of the nation's most preeminent newsmen, 
like his father is a legend he's he's not quite there but he's you know he's he's one of those guys he's one of those guys but he he was a moderator and he lost all and complete control of that debate plain and simple he let donald trump walk all over him he even chuckled sometimes during questions serious questions you know as if he was trying to placate trump or um make him feel better make him feel more comfortable and he was saying things like oh you'll like this one before he'd ask him a question that was clearly laced with fox news talking points and while i'm on the subject um i want to i want to mention something about chris wallace he, he asked trump a question and he he said and i'm paraphrasing he was like i'm gonna ask you a question about race but you can you can you can talk about whatever you want to and that shit infuriated me so much that's the shit we talking about right it's almost like he was giving them a pass to dismiss black issues right then and there and that's kind of the the past white people give other white people all day every day right and that's what it feels like to be black in america trying to bring up race or some things that affect you it's like oh yeah we'll talk we could talk about it but eh, i'd rather talk about this but i digress for Trump, even within those those friendly confines, uh, Trump found himself vacillating wildly between unhinged, incompetent, and downright embarrassing. Okay, the, the Washington Post coined it as the worst moment in television history. Considering that television is also where the JFK assassination, uh, the Challenger explosion, and the second Twin Tower being struck happened the, my first thought was hmm i don't think that's that much of a stretch and that's how god awful it was hank stuver uh, a tv critic with the washington post uh, he writes it was some of the worst tv that the country should ever have to see years from now i expected i expect to see it ranked alongside terrorist attacks space shuttle explosions and erroneous oscar announcements hmm, that's a different one i i didn't think of that one the blame for this goes to the president who i'm sure believes he did a wonderful job but who in fact debased the medium that made him one candidate biden came prepared to debate the president came with only the intent to disrupt the the event impervious to any attempt by an often helpless moderator, Fox News Sunday anchor Chris Wallace, to conduct actual discourse. Trump's lone asset, besides the bronzer glow up to a bizarre shade of crayon that isn't yet included in the box, was the energy and ferocity in which he interrupted Biden's attempts to answer the questions. Trump delivered a constant, unhinged, and fulsome pelting of dubious examples, strange retorts, immature insults and outright lies in other words the full set list in the face of such noise biden's answers tended to stray as the candidate struggled to keep track of what was happening believing to no great effect that he could counteract some of it by shaking his head smiling and chuckling at the absurdity of it all at home we weren't chuckling or shrugging at the absurdity of it all no no 
many of us were screaming at our TVs, engorged as we are on the facts, the outrage and the clapbacks we've mastered in these low, endlessly combative years. Once or twice, Wallace served as a sturdy cross-examiner of both men, but his reliance on simple decorum and the notion that he could keep either either candidate on topic was overrun by the president's rudeness. You know how bad a debate gotta be for sane people to be out here comparing it to events in which thousands of people died on live television? (laughs) Yeah, it's because it low-key felt like democracy was dying in front of our faces. Aside from Trump's incessant interrupting and never wavering idiocy, let's not lose sight that he made one thing perfectly clear. He made it clear that he's a he's a white supremacist. He once again he once again failed to condemn white supremacist slash terrorist organizations such as the Proud Boys. Yeah, yeah, he told them to stand down and stand by, whatever the fuck that means. And for y'all that don't don't know who the Proud Boys are, uh, I'm not gonna stun on y'all like I am well versed in their. Um, their ethos, right? But what I do know about them is that they're um, they're the dudes who's out there uh, bear spraying, spray, um, spraying bear pepper spray on the protest protesters in Portland. Like these are like some white anti-Semitic racist motherfuckers. Like they be out here going hard, skinheads, those type of dudes. So yeah, they took that shit as a call to arms. And and not soon after the debate, that was evident on their message boards. All right. We saw that on Twitter. Not too long after he said that, he called on his army, as his son puts it, to go to the polls and watch. As in poll watching. Yeah. 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 Things are getting real, real, real scary out here, man. Uh, that debate is only the beginning of what feels like the end of the country as we know it. And for all the lies Trump said, one of the final things he said on Tuesday has really echoed out to me. And uh, it stuck. It stuck. And, and, And that was when Donald Trump said, and I quote, this isn't going to end well. And to that, I say, (laughs) you're right, Donald. No, it is not. The only question is for whom? The American people? Or for you? November 7th, we're going to find out. Because we got to. Let's pull the pin. Who taught you to hate the color of your skin? We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. 
All right, y'all, as promised, I wanted to take a little dive into last week's news, which was the bombshell uh, New York Times reporting on Donald Trump's long-hidden and awaited taxes. Now, this is one of those things that I don't want to have to break down all the way to a T because it has been bubbling in the public sphere for about a week and a half and Uh, We've talked about it on Facebook, on Twitter. Y'all seen my thoughts on it, but I wanted to bring it on my podcast just so I could. uh, I could highlight a few points because it's very easy with this president to become numb. And I feel like we've been talking about how shady he is and his taxes that we may not really be getting the big deal. Excuse me. Um, Another thing that might also have us a little jaded is uh, rich people, we generally assume, don't pay taxes, right? And listen, that's a lie. I'm going to tell you that is a lie. I'm a financial advisor. I can tell you for a fact that is a lie. The IRS don't fuck around like rich people pay taxes. They may not pay the taxes that They should pay on all of their money, right? But they pay a substantial amount in taxes. Uh, Companies, corporations don't pay taxes, but they're built that way, okay? And if you guys ever came up with an idea and came up with a corporation that was making hella money, you would understand why corporations are taxed favorably in America and why America is what it is, right? As a place where people want to, um, want to start business. They want to start companies because of how lucrative it is. If you have a good idea, it, it drives innovation. Um, but I digress. Here's a couple points and why Trump's taxes um, and his finances and what was gleaned from the report is a big deal. All right. And I might miss some things um, just like I missed some things last, the last uh, segment, but um I'll try to touch on everything. Now, first, I want to explain how loss is carried over because we're hearing a lot from their campaign. They're trying to um, use this. They're trying to use tax credits. Um, They're trying to use all these nebulous terms that the average American may not understand to try to justify um, Donald Trump not paying taxes. And they're trying to minimize it to something that all rich people do. Not true. So let's explain how loss is carried over. So when you run a company and you lose money and you report that as capital losses, okay, or just losses in general, all right, you get to use your losses to offset your gains, all right? So you can use your losses to offset your taxable income on the year okay now with capital gains you can only use three thousand dollars at a time and then you carry it over you carry it over carry it over carry it over um with economic losses it doesn't work that way at all okay if you made a million dollars and lost a million dollars you're not getting taxed right so that's kind of how that works now how some how you can get caught up or how people get caught up trying to 
trying to whiz the system is that there's a whole bunch of ways in which you can have a loss, right? The best way, well, the most common way in which people claim a loss is by depreciating assets, right? Especially things that already exist or tangible assets where just for them saying that something depreciated a million dollars doesn't make it so. So if you own a property, you bought the property for 20 million, if you say that it lost $13 million of its value over the course of the last two, three years, then you can claim $13 million in loss, right? Cool, and that's great. But what you can't do is that tell the IRS that your house is worth $7 million and then go to the banks and tell them it's worth three hundred. dollars You can't do that. Donald Trump does that. Okay, so just get that part mixed up in your head a little bit. Like you're getting like the fugazi of the whole scheme here. So what Trump does is he minimizes his assets by taking advantage of the tax code. Okay, and not necessarily in a legal way. What you're hearing a whole lot of pundits, they're trying to avoid saying it's illegal. It's illegal. It's fucking illegal. They just legally can't say it until a judge says it. It's illegal. He undervalues things that he owns to reduce his taxable burden. All right. And then he writes off everyday luxury expenses as business expenses again to reduce his taxable burden. Then he uses his kids who are also employees of his corporation. One, as a way to duck payroll tax by paying them as consultants, um, double dipping because they're also on their payroll. Right. Um, It's also a way to reduce taxable and taxable income. Right. Um, Because you can write that consultancy fee off as a business expense, reducing the taxable income on the corporation. And then lastly, for the obvious reason, you if you're funneling money to your kids as consultants, what else are you doing? You're funneling money to your kids. Right. So (laughs) what Trump, if he actually had money, what Trump could do is like his dad did is try is pass millions of dollars to his kids through his company as gifts. So to duck taxes. But that's neither here nor there. So all those schemes and schema. Ultimately resulted in. Trump paying zero dollars in taxes in 10 of the last 15 years. And in the five years he did pay taxes, those taxes um, uh, amounted to $750 U.S. Now, the only other year going back 20 years that he paid taxes actually resulted in a $72 million tax refund that he got. And he's actually in court fighting the IRS over it now because the IRS is like, no fucking way you get a $72 million tax refund. Let's look at this. So he's actually under audit right now. And if he loses, he's going to owe the IRS about $112 million. So that is the taxes. Basically, Trump, who has surely owed millions of dollars in taxes actually paid more money in taxes over that same time frame to India 
and to the Philippines. More taxes in India than the Philippines than America. Let that sink in. So, that's the obvious part of the tax scandal that dropped last week. Now, the less obvious part, and the part that I don't think a lot of people are talking about is um, two things. Well, three. So, we have how he made his money, how he lost his money, and the debt. So, let's go to how he made his money first. So, now we all know that Trump purports himself as a real estate uh, magnet, developer, tycoon, entrepreneur. All lies. What Donald Trump is, is he's a massive grifter, okay? He has been lying to banks. He's been lying to Forbes. He's been lying to journalists for for decades. And you know what? Like, they're, com- they're all complicit to a degree, right? But he's been getting, he's been getting, securing these loans and running off on them and and defaulting on them after one payment. He's been doing that routinely since the since the late 80s, early 90s. He's declared bankruptcy multiple times. He's known for stiffing contractors, um stiffing employees. He's a fucking crook. That's what he is. Um he his, his dad gave him about 500 million dollars in today's money. Um to, and he squandered it all. He squandered it all on on over leveraging all of his properties, even the properties that were making money cash over fist like uh, Trump Mahal in Atlantic City was making like one hundred and fifty million dollars a year and he was still losing money. The man is a terrible businessman, just terrible. Everything he owns, quote unquote, (laughs) the bank owns, he's defaulted on them. And then when he was really underwater, the Russians came and saved his ass. So let's 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 pause right there. Let's stop right there. So we know he blew all of his dad's money. And he owed all this money to banks in the early 2000s from the 90s. So what happens in the early 2000s? He gets a TV show. The Apprentice. The Apprentice makes him approximately $400 million. million in the TV show itself and associated deals. That includes everything from the show to, like, fucking hamburger uh, endorsements. Like, this guy was a... This guy is no entrepreneur. He's the wacky, inflatable, arm-flailing man in 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 the car parking lot. That's how he was making his money. And even on The Apprentice... The way that show worked is they would give him a couple lines every show. He'd nail the lines, and that's it. That's it. They cut him a check, and he goes on his merry way. Um, the building that Trump Tower was fucking run down. They just fixed up the part where they were filming the uh, the the, uh, the Apprentice. Right? So that's what saved them, and then he squandered all his money again. So right now, so let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to the Russians, okay? Or we know the Russians saved their asses. And what we also know is from the documents that were released by the New York Times, 
um, this part is super underreported. Trump owes someone $400 million, and it's coming due in three to four years. Let that shit sink in. 400 M's. Now, y'all saw me talk about this on Facebook. If the president of the United States owes somebody $400 million, (laughs) he is not the president of the United States. Whoever he owes that money to is the president of the United States. You feel me? That's just how that works. That's leverage. And what that also creates is how willing, how desperate do you think Donald Trump is to get up under from underneath that debt? What do you think he's willing to do if he wins the presidency again to get up underneath that debt? Get up from underneath that debt. Right? Do you know what people will be offering him to get him out of that debt? You know, when you take any job, even me as a financial advisor, when you take any job, they check your, they run your, what, they run your credit. If you're in government, if you're in finance, they run your credit. You know why? Because if you owe anybody, you're compromised. You're not trustworthy if you owe someone $400 million. You're desperate. You'll be doing crazy shit. And that's what we have. We have Trump. We have a crazy man in the White House, and he owes someone $400 million, and we don't know who it is. And that is a problem. That's a national security threat. And for law and order, none of this seems very lawful or orderly. Does it seem lawful and orderly to you? No, it doesn't, does it? You know, and this man is only president because he's he sold himself to the to middle America as as a successful, rich, tactful negotiator and businessman. And he's not. He's a crook. He's a con man. He's a phony. He's broke. (laughs) He's broke. Got three baby mamas, five kids. Dumb as dirt. Don't pay his bills. It's a deadbeat. One of those five children illegitimate. He's a racist. And he's defaulted on all his bills. Donald Trump's white trash. <laughs> he's white trash. And you know what, America? You know what? If you're still undecided, after this this tax bombshell, um, after him calling our 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 war dead losers, after him failing to denounce white supremacy at the debate, after the debate in general, if you're still undecided, I guess you've decided that democracy is uh. A, a, a little whack. Hmm? 
democracy? Anyone? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Listen, y'all. We got some breaking news. And while the, by the time you hear this, it's not going to be breaking news anymore. But I started recording most of this podcast on October the 1st. Today is October the 4th. And we got some news. So I hope y'all sitting down. If you haven't fallen out of your chair already. Um, but Donald Trump got the Rona. Right. Right. He got the Rona. And nope, this is not a drill. This is not some White House scam. Donald Trump got the Rona. All right, now listen. Like I said, I recorded this podcast a couple days ago. I had it on ice all weekend so I could get to edit it and get it up for y'all. But on Friday morning, I woke up to some rather eye-popping news. And with that, I'm back here, much obliged, to discuss said news. So, Wednesday night, Bloomberg breaks a story stating that White House assistant Hope Hicks had tested positive for COVID-19. Now, we know Hope Hicks had been traveling with Donald Trump for much of the last month or so, basically at his hip, whether it was debate prep, uh, the debate, of course, the Supreme Court nomination gathering in the Rose Garden last weekend, and, um, and of course, the rally in Minnesota um, in which Hope Hicks was actually began, she actually began to, to fall ill during this rally. And, um, and they had to separate her on the, on the flight home. Now, this news set off a chain of events. And, and the news has really only been getting juicier and juicier as the weekend has gone on. You know, just so many plot points and different things. I can't even get to all the subplots in this, in this podcast. I just can't. Right. It'll make my head spin. But to break it down for you. Allegedly. In the wee hours of Friday morning, the president and the first lady had been determined to be positive for the Rona. And uh, and by the end of the day, they were flying his fat ass to Walter Reed in, in Bethesda, Maryland. Now, that's actually about 15 minutes by helicopter. So not too far. But. You know, I say allegedly because if you're doing the math, guys, the timeline doesn't make sense. You know, you're diagnosed in the morning by the by the evening. They're flying your ass to the hospital and you're on oxygen, you know. But either way, it was a really, really stunning turn of events. All right. So now we know at least eight people that attended the Supreme Court nomination event last Saturday that I mentioned um, have since come back positive for COVID-19, including at least three members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. All right. And that puts the very Supreme Court nomination they're celebrating in doubt. You know, you got to think about people like Mitch McConnell. I think Mitch McConnell is a polio survivor or something like that. I think that's why he looked like that. You know, um, <laughs> I think that's why he looked like that. But these are old dudes, man. Like a lot of them have comorbidities. So. It's ironic that that's the event that actually probably set off this whole thing that we're in right now. 
you know. And for Americans, these these turn of events have been very difficult to process and digest and discuss because of all the different angles of it. You know, again, not even addressing all the hypocrisy that's involved because of the people that are involved. You know, Donald Trump and the GOP, they've been chronically downplaying the virus since January, uh, comparing it to the flu, suggesting odd snake oil cures like bleach or hydrochloroquine. Um, Trump even went as far as to suggest that he had taken hydrochloroquine himself after a prior chance exposure. I think it was like his valet or something tested positive for, for Corona. But newsflash, guys, he didn't. He didn't. You know why? Because we haven't heard nothing about him taking it this time. Now that is for real, he ain't taking that shit. He know better. So all that, so all that BS and ignorance had just been a clear-cut attempt to protect his electoral chances this November. Only to catch it exactly a month before Election Day. You can't make this shit up. You just can't. So to make things even worse, it really isn't clear when he actually contracted the disease. Like they said, Hope Hicks fell ill on Wednesday, uh, and that should have set off alarms, not only to alert uh, the staff in the White House and their family members, but also the Trump campaign, of course, and then all the GOP that have been mixing and mingling for the much of the past last week, okay? But the White House informed no one, not even the Biden campaign, you know, with, with whom he, he'd been on the stage with him only 12 feet apart for about 90 minutes a few days prior, not a call. So the only reason we know about Hicks or the president's tests is because of the Bloomberg report. All right, the, the, the White House hasn't been transparent. The White House doesn't care about anybody else and whether they get sick and spread it. No, the Trump administration basically handled Trump's own COVID diagnosis the same way they handled the crisis from the very beginning. Misleading, downplaying, covering up. So it's hard not to wish the worst on the president. You know, I try to be a good person, but he he obviously made his own bed of dog shit, and now he has to lay in it. Now he has to lay in it. And if the roles were reversed, you think he'd be wishing uh, Joe Biden well? You think he'd be pulling down his, his uh, negative ads from TV? <laughs> Conserv conservatives are now lambasting liberals, right? Um liberals like me, that have wished ill on the president and missed his diagnosis. Okay, the same folks that were sending money to Kyle Rittenhouse, by the way. You know, go figure. But they're completely missing the fact that Trump cares about no one. So why should we be empathizing for Trump? Okay, even Secret Service folks have been complaining that Trump doesn't care about anyone but himself. In fact, he's been endangering them pretty much since the pandemic started. With all of, his, all of his super spreader events, uh, his rallies, we know back in uh, back in June, the same rally that uh, <laughs> that Herman Cain caught the Rona and passed a couple of weeks after, um, he had a couple Secret Service guys that got sent home because he caught the Rona. Okay, in fact, in the last week, he's endangered thousands of people. He attended a fundraiser in New Jersey where I live, knowing he had been exposed to someone in his close circle who had COVID-19, 
all while not wearing a mask. <laughs> Man, his behavior has been so reckless. So reckless. The GOP's behavior has been so reckless. They honestly deserve whatever's coming to them. And maybe, and maybe, Rona will get them so bad that when they f emerge from their fever <laughs> in, in, their, in their hospital bed, maybe at that point they'll get that it's not a hoax. Maybe. But I'll tell you, man, word on the street is the last 48 hours for Donald Trump has been up and down. You know, they treated him with Regeneron before he left the White House Friday evening. And that's a monoclonal antibody cocktail. All right. And it's supposed to act as a booster shot, if you will, for his immune system. The benefits of that treatment, though, has not been well documented and tested. In fact, there's only been 325 people who've taken it so far. So them even using this treatment on the president of the United States would suggest his, situ his situation was deteriorating rapidly. No, after downplaying the severity of, Trump, of Trump's condition in front of the press, uh, mostly in an att in attempt to quell worries, today, Sunday morning, Dr. Sean Conley said the president was given a steroid called dexamethasone, okay, following two episodes of transient drops in his oxygen saturation, meaning his oxygen levels dropped too low. That's scary stuff, man. That's some scary shit. Now, I mean, Lucky for Trump, he's receiving the world's best health care for free. You know, how about that socialized medicine? Um, on the taxpayer's dime, even though he pays no taxes. So the odds are actually in his favor, despite his weight. No, he's obese. His age. And his, just his overall poor health, Right. So nonetheless, the next 48 hours for Donald Trump are going to be really crucial, really crucial, right? Because this is where someone that experienced low oxygen levels in their blood, you know, they can go either way really fast. So I can say unequivocally, whatever happens to Trump, whatever happens to Trump will be well-deserved. Get well, Mr. President. <laughs> so another person that was at that super spreader event last weekend, of course, was Amy Coney Barrett, Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court. She's a circuit appeals judge from Indiana. All right. Uh, and she's a favorite of the religious right to say the absolute very least. Uh, according to the New York Times, uh, Barrett is a member of a very conservative sect of Catholicism called People of Praise. And her writing shows that faith has played a significant role in how she sees the law. Well, first, one of the scarier things about this lady is her belief that the law is a means to, to an end. Uh, the end being uh, building some kind of kingdom of God here in the U.S., and, and that's particularly troubling considering the Constitution separating church and state and all. But it's also troubling for women and people of color. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to go back and take back people of color and just say black people. 
Because whenever religion becomes mixed with the law, it's no surprise how that has turned out for black people. And uh, I think y'all know where I'm getting at here. I don't think I have to uh, go too deep into that. I think we all know where I'm coming from with that. Right? Right. So it also gives us a window a little bit into how she will rule on women's rights issues, such as Roe versus Roe v. Wade. Um, that batch religious rights stuff, um, they love Amy Coney Barrett, right? Because she has routinely shared, op- uh, shared opinions hinting at her propensity to overturn Roe v. Wade. She said, judges cannot, nor should they, try to align our legal system with the church's moral teaching whenever the two diverge. They should, however, conform their own behavior to the church's standard. Hmm. Now, that's concerning, all right? Now, while she was talking about capital punishment at the time, and I'm actually against capital punishment, too, but not for religious reasons, just because, one, it unfairly targets black people, and two, too often for my taste, they're wrong. So either way, it's fair, though, even though she's talking about capital punishment, to wonder how that principal belief that a judge has to bring their religion into things or rule in accordance with their religious belief. It's fair to wonder how that's going to affect her judgment on Roe v. Wade, since abortion would be against her beliefs as well. And considering who she would be replacing on the Supreme Court, her ruling against that precedent would be simply unacceptable for a majority of Americans. And uh, RBG would be turning over in her grave, quite frankly. You know, to put it simply, Amy Coney Barrett is what they call a constitutionalist. All right. She believes in constitution over precedent. Which is to say the way it was written is the way it was written and were to take the Constitution literally. And um, that's particularly dangerous t- for all the people whose rights aren't explicitly protected in the Constitution, which is pr- basically everyone but white men, right? Like women's rights, gay rights, civil rights, etc. The types of rights that we have to fight for and win in court, again, An assault on any of those aforementioned rights would be simply unacceptable. It's unacceptable. That's an 80-20 issue. So, in short, she clerked for Antonin Scalia. So that should tell you everything you need to know. Just look look up Scalia and what he was about, you know, and how he got down. And, um, and you would know. You see exactly what's going on. And what's more, she's actually only been a federal judge for three damn years. Three years. Before that, she was a teacher. She was a law professor in Notre Dame. Some career, huh? Three years on the bench, and now they want to nominate her for a lifelong position on the nation's highest court. Nah, man. That can't happen. That can't happen. So maybe this corona outbreak was random. Or maybe it's RBG working her magic from beyond the grave because she don't want this bitch in her seat. And uh, I wouldn't either. Nope.
That's a no for me, dog. You know what time it is. Yeah, you. It is time for How to Not Be Racist with your host, Kevin. So take notes and listen closely, and maybe, just maybe, he can help keep a foot out of your ass next time. Don't get f***ed up out here in these streets my guy. Peace. So this week, I want to talk a little bit about how not to be racist when discussing NFL football. Particularly quarterback play. So... We see Cam Newton doing his thing up in Boston. All right, playing for the New England Patriots, replacing the Hall of Fame and legendary Tom Brady. Now, how did he get to New England? He got to New England because, uh, you know, things ran their course in Carolina. They released him and he was a free agent. Okay, and during this past offseason, it became apparent to me that for some reason, the 31 year old ex MVP and number one pick wasn't getting any looks. And when I would bring this up on Facebook, on Twitter, there'll be a, a number of white uh, of, of people um, who typically happen to be white almost all the time, every single time, right? Uh, they're always white. And they would always bring up, oh, Cam Newton gets injured. He's not accurate. He's he's washed. He's injured, so they can't, you know, the coronavirus, they can't, they can't do a physical on him. So that's really hurting his stock. All that bullshit. So I sat down and I watched Andy Dalton get signed before Cam Newton. I watched Joe Flacco get signed before Cam Newton. This shit's ridiculous. Nick Foles, <laughs> Nick Foles, the Bears traded for him when Cam Newton was sitting right there. All right, so how not to sound like a racist? Hey, how about you look in the mirror before you speak on a black quarterback? Look in the mirror and think, would I say this about Matt Ryan? You know, Cam Newton is by far, by far, the best quarterback that was available this offseason. By far, not even close. He stated he would have he would have signed to be a backup. He made that known. So there was a lot of a lot of people who also happened to be white who were so sure that Cam Newton was one, asking for too much money, and two was insistent on being a starter. Neither of those facts happened to be true or verifiable. But leave it to them. And some of y'all who pay attention to my Facebook know who I'm talking about. Mr. Canizzo. They were so sure that Cam Newton was asking for the moon, the sun, and the stars. Turned out, all he wanted was an opportunity. So he signed with the New England Patriots for, uh, I think his cap hit's going to be $1 million. Okay. Taysom, Taysom Hill is getting paid 16 times more. 
than Cam Newton. Just let that sink in. Just let that sink in. So, next time you're you're breaking down quarterback play, just just try to be fair. Try to be consistent. And maybe, just maybe, you won't end up looking like a racist when you're talking about quarterback play in the NFL. Peace. You have been listening to the Pull the Pin podcast with Kevin E. Joma. We're brought to you by What You Expect. That's W-Y-E-X-P-E-C-T dot com. And special shout out to all my fine folks over there. We try to do this for you every week. And actually this week I'm bringing you another podcast uh, dedicated completely to playoff basketball as me and my good friend Dapo. We, we're going we're gonna to give you a review of everything that happened in the NBA bubble. And we're going to talk ball. So if you love hoops, definitely keep an eye out for the next podcast coming out. Stay educated. Keep talking. Keep listening. Use your voice. And don't forget. Vote this November as if your life depends on it. Because it just might. Peace.